Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, that's where we'll spend almost all of our time this morning. While you're turning there, let me introduce myself. My name is Jay Freimeyer. I'm, I'm on staff here at Providence Road. And if you're a guest with us this morning, I especially want to welcome you to church with us this morning. I've already met a couple of you that are guests, and so welcome to Providence Road. Uh, on the back end of our service, we'll give you some instruction on how you can get more information about the church or ask us to pray for you and give us your contact information, and so we can be in touch with you this week. And so, again, if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, this morning, we'll be continuing our three-week series on prayer, and so if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to check out the podcast. It's up on our website. Jeremy preached on verses 9 and 10 of the Lord's Prayer. I'll preach on verse 11, and then next week, we'll conclude that series. And so check out the podcast if you missed it, if uh, the cold kept you away, or if you're out of town, uh, and then come back next week. All right, by now, I'm assuming you're in Matthew 6, and if not, uh, we'll have the verses up on the screens, and so follow along with me. We'll be reading verses 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time that we come together that you can teach, correct, exhort, rebuke, and train us in righteousness. And so this morning, I pray that you would do that, that you would send your spirit to guide us, that you would open, open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most of you in here, many of you in here know my son, Henry. And if I had to sum up Henry in one word, I think I would have to choose the word intense. And if you know Henry, you know why I chose that word. Now, for the most part, he's not a mean kid. He doesn't go looking for trouble. Uh, for the most part, he does look for trouble on occasion. But he's not 
mean-spirited. He doesn't like to bully kids. He just goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And if it so happens, if while Henry's going from here to here and you are in his way, you are probably going to get run over. Now to Henry, it's not that he's mad at you or he's coming after you. It's just that you shouldn't have been standing there, right? And, and this is just how he operates. And so we're trying to teach him that there are more than just two speeds to life, sleep and bull in a china shop. We're, 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 we're trying, he's learning slowly but surely. I think someday we'll get there. Now, throughout the day, Henry will often ask us for things. Mommy, can I do this? Daddy, can I have that? Typical kid stuff. If you've got kids, it's, it's all the same questions. And I, I think because of his personality, um, maybe your kids are like this too. I don't know. When he comes to us, he's not actually asking us if he can have those things. He's already doing them in his mind. So whatever he's saying, hey, can I do this? Or hey, can I have this? He's already doing it. So he's just wanting affirmation from us to do what he's already doing in his mind. So as you might imagine, this causes some problems when he give, we give him an answer that is the opposite of what he's looking for. So for instance, this might play out in a question like, hey, hey, daddy, can I watch TV today? Well, not right now, buddy. Daddy, can I have a cookie? No, it's 7 a.m. No cookies right now. Daddy, can I go outside and play today? No, it's 10 degrees. Another day, not today. These are just some examples. You, if you have kids, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So when it comes to things like this, sometimes we say yes and sometimes we say no. But there are a few questions that either he's asked explicitly or they've been implied that I have never said no to. I, I am 100% certain that I have always said yes to these things. Now, as I read them, you're going to think they're a little odd, but I've never said no to these things. Let me read off a few. Daddy, can I eat food today? Silly, right? It's a silly question. Daddy, can I drink water today? Daddy, can I sleep indoors tonight? Daddy, can I wear clothes to school today? Please, yes, wear, wear clothes. Now, you're laughing as I'm asking these questions because they're silly questions, right? I, I've always, always, always said yes to these things primarily for two reasons. One, I, I like my freedom and I don't want to go to jail, Okay. That's obvious, but, but all kidding aside, primarily I provide these things for him and for our daughter Eden because we love them, because I love them. They're my children and I delight in my children. I'm pleased with them, I love them and I care for them. Therefore, I provide for them. And not necessarily because anything they've done to earn these things or that they deserve these things. In fact, you might argue on some days that they deserve the opposite of these things. I would love some days to throw him out in the cold and say, you're sleeping outdoors tonight, but I don't do it because I love them. And it's not because of anything they've done. It's because I love them. They're my kids. This is exactly where I want us to begin this morning. And so I want us to see that, that God, our father, that for those who are his kids, there are basic things that we need to survive, right? Food, water, shelter, these, these things that we just need. It's not as if God is indifferent to your needs or that he doesn't know what your needs are. He delights in you. He delights in his kids. He loves you. He cares for you. And so he provides for you. And we could argue that it's not because anything we've done to deserve it. In fact, we probably do things that maybe cause us 
you know, we shouldn't deserve these things. And yet, God, because of who he is and who you are now in Jesus, he provides these things for you. A chapter later in Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying to you earthly dads in here that apart from him, you are wicked. To your core, you're sinful, you're evil. And, and yet, even in your wickedness, when your kids come to you and say, hey, I'm hungry, can I have some bread? You're not giving them stones. If they say, hey, can I have some fish? You're not reaching for your snake closet and giving them a snake. Jesus says, if you, evil, wicked, earthly dads, apart from Jesus, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more then will your Father in heaven provide your needs for you? This, I believe, is the tone, it's the heartbeat of Matthew 6, 11. And so most of our time will be spent there this morning. But first, I want to step back a little bit. I want to, there's, there's a few layers that I want to get down uh, get through first to get to Matthew 6, 11. And so I want to give us kind of an overview of where we're at in the book of Matthew, the life of Jesus, within the Sermon on the Mount, and then we'll hit Matthew 6. And so just to recap briefly, um, if you missed Jeremy's sermon last week, again, he, he does some of this backstory a little differently than I did. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. But just to give you a very brief recap of where we are in Matthew, Jesus has, has recently been baptized by John. Uh, he's been led into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting. As soon as that's over, the angels come to him and are ministering to him. And from there, he starts his ministry. You see him proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he starts calling his first disciples. And right after that, um, he's uh, preaching in the synagogues, and he begins healing people of various diseases. And so as you might imagine, when a guy steps on the scene like that, he starts healing people, crowds are flocking to him. Like they, they want to see, hey, what is going on here? I want to see what this guy is doing. And so we pick up in chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 1. It tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountain. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on a mountain or a hill. He sits down, his disciples, they press into him. The crowds are around, and so they can hear what he's saying, but his disciples press in just a little bit closer. And so they're, they're listening intently to what Jesus has to say as you would too, if, you see, if, you, if you're seeing this for the first time. So fast forward to the verses I just read in Matthew 6. Um, within these 18 verses, I read 18 verses for a reason. I think there are a few patterns within these 18 verses that I want to highlight, and we're not going to spend much, much time on them. I just want to note them for you this morning. There are a few things that, that Jesus says in these three sections that, that make us see that they flow together. The first thing we see is Jesus saying, don't do blank to be praised by men. And so verse two, it's don't give to the poor so that you'll be praised by men. Don't pray in verse five to be praised by men. And in verse 16, don't fast to be praised by men. When you see repetition in the scriptures, it tells us, hey, these things go together. So the second thing we see is those who fail to submit to this warning actually get what they want, but that's all they receive. And so what do they want? They wanna be seen by men. So they get their reward but that's it. The third thing I think we see is Jesus then provides instruction or a model on how to do these things without pursuing recognition. So he says, don't do them like this. That's the only thing you'll receive is, is being praised by men. And then he gives us an instruction on how to do them. And then the fourth thing I think we see is a promise that the Father will reward those who are faithful to him in these ways. 
The same line is at the end of all three sections. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You may have noticed that earlier as we were reading. Implied here, obviously, is that Christians are actually doing these things. That Christians are fasting, they're praying, they're giving to the poor. He doesn't go on this long discourse of why this is a good idea, why you should fast, why you should pray, why you should give to the poor. He just says they do them. And so that's an interesting observation. Those who have been changed by God in Jesus do these things. And he says there's a right way and a wrong way to do them. Do them the right way. Now, to be clear, the right way to do them is not exactly as he said. So if you know me, you know I'm a very literal person. And so this often gets me in trouble. But when you say something to me, I think that you mean what you just said, right? And so when I tell you something, I mean that, like what I just said. And so, I mean, this just gets me in trouble in relationships. And so as, as I've gotten older, I, I learned that some people say things and they don't mean exactly as what they've just said. And so I am constantly asking clarifying questions like, hey, can you like parse that verb that you just said? Because I'm, tra- I'm translating my mind as you're talking, but I want to make sure I, I'm listening and hearing what you're saying to be true. In these verses, Jesus isn't saying literally that as you give to the poor with your right hand to hide your left hand. That's not what he means. He's not saying that when you read the Lord's Prayer that this is the only prayer that God hears and you're to repeat it verbatim. It's a good prayer. It's a good place to start, but it's not the only prayer. And if your face is dirty, then you probably need to go rub some dirt on it when you fast. He's saying don't change your appearance in order to be seen. Why? Because again, the overall emphasis here is that you're not highlighting yourself, but that you're glorifying God, your Father, as you do these things. Now, let's, let's focus in, let's go a step further and focus on prayer specifically. To expand a bit on what I mentioned a few minutes ago, how should we pray? What should that look like? Again, I'm going to mention just a few things that we see here. I'm going to ask a few questions, and then that's all. We're not going to stay here long. First, Jesus says that we are to pray not to be seen. So what are your motives when you pray? What do you hope is accomplished? This may seem kind of vague, big. Do you you treat it as a task that, that has to be accomplished? Or are you actually communing with your Father? When you're praying with others, are you thinking about what they think about you as you're praying? Do you feel yourself saying certain things in order that they would think highly of you as you're saying them? So we are to not pray this way. We're we're to pray not to be seen. Second, we are to pray in secret. So not necessarily only in secret, but at minimum in secret. Let me try to build this out a little bit. Does the amount of time that you spend in prayer when people are around in corporate settings does that outpace the amount of time you spend in prayer privately? This would be like talking to your husband or wife when people are around like a whole lot, and then you go home and you just don't talk much. It's kind of odd, kind of strange, isn't it? If this is true of you, spend some time thinking about this week. Why is this true? Why does your private prayer life not match or outpace the time of prayer that you have when other people are around? So we're, we're to pray not to be seen, we're to pray in secret. And, and third, what we see here is we are to pray with confidence. Look at verse eight again with me. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And yet we see in verse 11, he's saying to still ask him for those things. So what should that tell us? I believe 
that tells us that you have a father that loves to say yes. I mean, any dads in the room want to be the no dad that you're constantly saying no? We enjoy saying yes to our kids. So God is saying he knows our most basic needs. And then he says, ask for them. And so my question to us this morning, are you asking him for your most basic needs? Are you thanking him when he provides those things for you? These, again, are just some things to think about this week in regards to the ways in which we pray. Now, this leads us to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Here, this begins a shift in the Lord's prayer, I believe. Some, some disagree. I, I'm pretty convinced that there's a shift in the prayer here. What begins with the exaltation of the Father and that we would taste and see more of him on earth, that we, we're praying for his will to be done, it moves then into addressing the needs of us the needs of people. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this observation that the three final requests in this prayer are all encompassing for the needs of humans, addressing their body, soul, and spirit. But more specifically, he notes the order of the second half of this prayer. This is a quote from from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Let us look at it again in its setting. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A wonderful, exalted spiritual level. So we're up in the clouds up here. We would have then expected him immediately after that would come the spiritual needs of man followed in descending order by the needs of his soul. And at the very end, some remembrance of the body and its needs. But that is not how our Lord puts it. Immediately after those exalted petitions about God and his glory, he starts with the body. There is indeed something surprising about that at first sight, but the moment we stop to think about it, we shall realize that the order is absolutely right. Our Lord is now considering our needs, and clearly the first thing that is necessary is that we must be enabled to continue in our existence in this world. We are alive, and we must be kept alive. So Jesus knows that apart from him, we're separated from God forever. He knows that, but he also knows how important our most basic needs are. Therefore, in order for us to be able to treasure the name of God, to to pray that his will is done, that his kingdom comes, in order for that to happen, you have to have life in you. And so God knows this. As I thought about this verse this past week, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. I tried to recall even one moment praying with others around me that I remembered someone actually praying that. Now, outside of like, just a verbatim recitation of the Lord's Prayer. I, just, I couldn't recall one time that someone was praying for these most basic things to be met. I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure I've heard it before. I just, I don't think it's that common. I think the majority of us in here, maybe all of us, have no clue what it means to ask God to give us our food for today. In this verse is a deep, deep dependence upon God that if we're, at at, at minimum, we're just not thinking about it. So let me try to build this out a little bit. There is food everywhere, is there not? You have food in your fridge, you have food in your freezer, in your mini fridge, in your pantry, in your cupboard, in your roommate's closet, in your neighbor's house across the street. Maybe you go over there for some food. You're borrowing eggs every now and then. In the drive-thru down the street, in the drive-thru next to that drive-thru, in the restaurant just down the street from the drive-thru, at the restaurant next to that restaurant, at the grocery store next to that restaurant. Oh, but now you're on that side of the town. Hey, there's there's a grocery store right over here next to your house. There is food 
everywhere, isn't there? And so what happens as, as we're just used to this, like we, we don't depend on God, I, I think, I'm assuming here, I think it's, it makes it harder for us to depend on him because we can get food anywhere we want. I don't, necess- I don't necessarily think that it's, it's even that we're all gluttons. I just think the conversations that we have about food, let me just give you some examples of, of conversations that have happened in our home, and, and maybe they're similar to yours. They go something like this. Oh, we just had that two weeks ago. Are we seriously eating this again? I have to go back to the store because you forgot the milk. I'm, I'm not saying who said what here, so I'm... <laughs> I'm not trying to get myself in trouble. I'll just let you read between the lines. Can you believe this expired after four weeks? Oh, what a joke. Leftovers again. Eye roll emoji if you're texting. I had Chick-fil-A yesterday. I am not doing that again. That's not true. (laughs) Nobody's had too much Chick-fil-A. You get my point. It's a challenge depending on God for our basic needs in the day-to-day when all I have to do is go home this afternoon, put in a Walmart pickup order, and then drive by tomorrow, and they just dump everything in my car. Or if I have a little extra time, I'll order on Amazon Prime. Two days later, it's at my doorstep. And if it's after two days, I'm calling and complaining because that's just ridiculous, right? This is the society. This is what we live in. And I don't believe this verse is just about food, so don't hear that. I think it's talking about our most basic needs. So what are those things? Food, water, shelter, clothing. I would argue that companionship with other people, rest is is definitely a need. You may add some more, but but you get the idea. What I fear is that we, we grow up or are living in the most prosperous country in all of the world, and it leads us, even as Christians, to forget that it's God who gives us everything. He gives us everything. So if there's a path that we are to walk as believers, like just picture in front of you, there's a path that goes from here to eternity. And that path is us trusting in the provisions of God to provide our basic needs. I think on either side of this path, there's a ditch. There's two ditches, I believe, that can lead us into temptation to not believe that God is going to provide. I'm gonna build this out for us. Ditch one is to store up wealth for yourself out of fear that God will not provide for you in the future. I think this can manifest itself in a number of ways. One way to fall into this ditch, I think, is to be lulled into thinking that I'm actually the one that provides for me. That I've got this job, I've got these gifts, I'm this smart, and so I do these things, forgetting that it's God who even gives us our minds to think. Maybe you've become discontent in your job, and instead of praying and asking direction from the Father, you just take matters in your own hands, and you jump at the first position available. How about the way we treat and view retirement? Do you have an unhealthy view of the future? Do you save so much that it hinders your giving? Do you miss opportunities now with the gifts and the resources that God has given you because you are fearful that God won't actually provide for you in some distant future? This makes, you know, building this out, it makes me think of the people of Israel just after they've been delivered uh, from, you know, they crossed the Red Sea. So for, for over 400 years, if you remember, they're in slavery in Egypt, right? And so they're, they're working for the Egyptians. They're, they're being punished in so many ways. They're, they're slaves for over 400 years. 
And so God raises up Moses and he brings him to Egypt. He sends 10 plagues to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will let them go. Splits a sea in half and brings them through on dry land. They cross safely to the other side, over a million people. I don't know what you know, scholars think, how many people. I mean, it's like, it's like over a million people, brings them to safety, closes the waters in, defeats their enemies for them. And it's like two chapters later. They're like, oh, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least we had bread there. Like, do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, yeah, we were slaves. We didn't have our freedom. But, you know, we had something to eat, but they were trusting on the Egyptians to provide. And so what does God do? He provides bread from heaven. He sends manna and he says, each day I'm going to provide you enough for today. Don't store up for the next day. You don't need to do that. I'll provide for you tomorrow. But just save up for today. Eat, eat what you need. And then tomorrow I'll provide more. Well, what do they do? They took matters in their own hands. They start storing up this manna because they don't, they don't believe. They don't trust that God is going to provide. And what happens? It gets moldy. It's stinky. Scriptures tell us that it worms infested it and it stank. God was showing them that they could trust him, that he's going to provide. I just wonder, we read this story and we think, man, that's ridiculous, the Egyptians. I mean, he just delivered them from the Red Sea. How could they, how could they think this? But this is true of us, isn't it? Sure, God has not parted a Red Sea, the Red sea in your life, but maybe something similar. Maybe you face a circumstance or you face a trial or, or an illness or disease, and you thought, there is no way that I can come out of this on my own. Unless God intervenes, there is no way. And then he does. And the next week you're thinking, will God provide? That's the example. That, that, that's what I'm trying to say here. This is ditch number one. Are you showing a lack of trust in God in this way? Do you live open-handedly with your stuff? Do you exhibit outwardly a belief inwardly that God actually will provide today and tomorrow? This, I believe, is ditch one. Ditch two, I believe, is to worry and become anxious that God doesn't love and care for you and that he may not actually provide your most basic needs for you. So they may sound similar. I think ditch one, I think both of them start with disbelief. I think ditch one causes us to action and take matters in our own hands. I'm gonna do this because I don't believe God will. I think ditch two is just to freak out and, and just become paralyzed with fear and just worry and become anxious. Jesus addresses both of these things in the next few verses of Matthew 6. First, he says, don't store up treasures in heaven. Because if that's where your treasure is, your heart is also going to be there. A few verses after that, Matthew 6, this is verse 31. Jesus says, don't be anxious, he says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? You're not going to add to your life by becoming anxious. Look to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. If your father feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers, do you think that he won't also do these things for you? True contentment is found in trusting in the provisions of God. Some of you know about our journey here to Norman, but many of you may not. And so I wanna, I wanna share with you, uh, you know, our, our journey here. I think, I'll just speak for me. I won't speak for Brooke, so I, I don't know if this is true for her. But I, I know for me, I, I bounced in and out of both of these ditches in about the six months to a year leading up to 
us coming here. So to, to give you a little background, we were a part of a church in Kentucky that is very established. I mean, they are old. Not, not the people, but the church itself. I think this year the church turns 237 years old. Think about that. That's nuts. And so they pride themselves on being one of the oldest churches outside of the original colonies. Having been there for about six years, we'd grown comfortable. Um, more than our needs were met. We had a great friend circle. Um, there were over a thousand people attending weekly to the services there. So many of them knew us. They loved us. They cared for us. I mean, it was, we just had grown comfortable. And I think along the way, pride had set in, entitlement had set in, and, and I'd I'd begin to think that I, I just deserved certain things and I was owed certain things. So along the way, various factors led us to, to start having discussions about what it would look like to come back to Oklahoma, including... Um, you know, some family members being sick. We started having these discussions, like we kind of want to be back. And so the more we talked and prayed, the more we found ourselves looking for a certain type of church. And we, we wanted to be picky, but that becomes difficult based on church openings. And if you actually want to hold to the convictions that you have and agree with church leadership, I mean, it's kind of a, a sad deal, but it's, it's just reality. And so we started having these conversations and we said, you know what, we're, we're looking for a certain type of church and we're, and we're not going to settle. And so what we found was this. We had some conversations with a few churches in the OKC metro area, and there were three specifically that we, we really liked. We, we said, we line up with these guys doctrinally. We, we value uh, the same things they value. We really like them. If I wasn't being paid to be on staff there, we would attend these churches. We could go to any of these churches, and so we loved it, and, and they said similar things to us. They said, hey, we think you guys are great. We think you guys are awesome. You'd fit here. We think your gifts could be used here, but they all also said the same thing. Hey, we don't have any money for you. And so that was just that, you know, what are we going to do with that? Like, we want to be a part of these churches. They can't pay us. We like to eat, you know, and live in a house. So we, we had some things to wrestle through there. Now, obviously we ended up at Providence Road. Here we are. Um, but support raising for us was just a whole new animal. It was a whole new experience for us. And on the one hand, we were still being cared for and provided for by the people of God in our life that love us. I know some of you in here, you, you support Raise, and it's cool to like hear your stories and you know, talk about our stories with you guys. On the other hand, we had to go to them and ask for money. And it's just weird. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's awkward. And if you, if you raise support, you know. Like, you're having some awkward conversations with people. Some of them just don't get it. Some of them aren't on board. And you know, again, you still got to eat, so like, you're still having to ask for money. And so it's just uncomfortable. So while in the beginning of this journey, I was stuck on one side, being, being prideful, entitled, thinking I was owed certain things. On the other end, you know, right before we got here, asking over and over, like, is God actually going to provide? Like, we, I don't know how many times we had that conversation. It felt like it was a weekly thing. Like, like things would go well, and then we'd hear some no's, and it's like, are we going to eat next year? You know, do we have to give our kids up for adoption because we can't, you know, take care of them? Like, it was tough. And, and I had to recite to myself over and over, God has provided for you for 30 years, for 31 years. Do you really think in your 32, he's going to stop? And no matter how many times I said that to myself, I still disbelieved. Like, there were times that I still doubted. And God provided. He's, he's cared for us. You know, our lives aren't falling apart but there still are times of doubt that I wonder like, and what is gonna happen after next year? Will God continue to provide? The answer is obviously yes, but this is ditch number two. 
Now, I'm not sharing this story with you, so you'll look to us as you know, the, the pinnacle of people who trust in God. I'm, I'm certainly not communicating that. But what I am trying to communicate is that nobody is prone to either ditch, okay? So whether you make $15,000 a year, whether you only have debt right now, whether you're making $150,000 a year, all of us can have a false sense of security in our stuff. And all of us can despair that it's not enough. Did you catch that? It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. Are you trusting in God? So I wanna ask one final question this morning. Actually, I'll probably ask some more, but this is one of the last questions I'll ask. Who do you ultimately trust to provide your most basic needs? And is that enough? Who do you trust to provide your most basic needs and is that enough? You may be familiar with the phrase, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We get this from the Old Testament in a couple different places, and its feel is one of lament. If, if tomorrow we're going to die, and there's no hope of a future, there's, no, there's nothing beyond that, then do whatever you want. Live it up, because we're about to die, and that's going to be it. There's no hope. Paul actually agrees with this. He picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He quotes, I, I believe it's Isaiah. If, he says, the dead are not raised. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Paul stopped here, if history stopped here, we're doomed, aren't we? If there's no point, there's no more songs to sing. There's nothing left to see here. We go home, there's, there's nothing, that's it. If the story stopped here. But it doesn't, does it? The very next verse, verse 20, I believe. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And on this historical fact, our entire faith hinges, doesn't it? Jesus came, he lived the perfect life. He died the death that you and I deserved for our wages of sin and was resurrected on the third day. And now he rules and reigns in the heavens until he returns for those who call him Lord. Russell Moore says it best. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die is a sham. The alternative, then, is not a refusal to eat, for that would be ingratitude. Instead, with the resurrected Jesus, we sing out, let us eat, drink, and be, be merry, for yesterday we were dead. All those now who trust in Jesus, if you're here this morning and you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we look back on our death. It's, it's gone. We look back on our death and we look forward to life eternal. So what does all of this have to do with my trust in God to provide my most basic needs? I won't speak for all of you, but do you know where I go when I am in moments of despair? If I doubt, I question whether or not God will provide. Like at the core, the, the anchor that holds this down for me is that when it came time for God to give his own son, he did not hold back. So if he has given us Jesus, if he has provided a savior for our sins, 
Will he not provide your next meal? Even as Jesus had his eyes set on the cross, he did not do so begrudgingly. Hebrews 12.2 tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, God loves you, he cares for you, and he provides for you right down to the next thing you're going to eat or drink today. So because of this, may we eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and, you know, like we do every week, we're going to come forward and, and do that. But before we do so, I want, I want us to spend a few moments in prayer. In, in a series on prayer, it's fitting that we probably pray. And so last week, Jeremy directed our time to hallow the name of God, to revere him, to treasure him, to just, to just call out and, and say who God is. And so this morning, I want to shift that just a little bit and, and say, you know, first, maybe you're in one of those two ditches this morning that I talked about. Maybe you look to your stuff. Maybe you are gaining wealth for yourself because you don't trust that God's going to provide. Or maybe on the other hand, you're anxious this morning and you don't, and you don't believe, and so it's caused you to fear. And so if you're in one of these ditches this morning, it's, it's okay to just call out and confess and repent that. But for the most of us this morning, maybe it's just calling out to God and thanking him for the ways in which he has provided for us. Think through all the ways that he's cared for you, he's cared for your family. We're gonna take a few moments and this isn't going to be a long time, we're not gonna draw it out, but in just, in just brief, quick statements, how has God provided for you? In a moment, we're, we're going to do that, and then I'll, uh, I'll direct us into the Lord's Supper. <laughs>